Welcome to episode 500 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It's Wednesday. I'm your host, Paul Sport, joined by Eno Sayers and our producer, Justin Mason. Guys, what is going on? That was a terrible air horn. We need a legit air horn. We need Kylie's air horn. Kylie, bring back your air horn. That's all we need. You want me to talk on the show? No, no, no. Just an air horn. That's all we need. Guys, the, uh, the speaking of an air horn, like basically that that playoff game yesterday was the baseball version of an air horn. It was just <laughs> from the jump and did not stop. What an insane game! We'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about tonight's NL wild card game. A little bit of who are you drafting first? Get into some of Justin's um, mock drafts. We'll be talking about where these guys are going. Uh, you run you run four drafts. Are they all done yet? No, Justin. they're they're all still going though. Uh, they they made you get cut short because they are the slowest of slow drafts possible. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, you know that that's the one thing. Like we all acknowledge that it's a slow draft, and yet we're still like, can this person pick? Can they please hurry up? And like, so no matter how well prepared you are for the idea that it's going to be a slow draft, you still want people to pick as quickly as possible and as often as possible. I get it. But at the same time, I mean, that's what the slow drafts are for. How far are they from completion? Uh, I say they're all about close to halfway or over. One's moving a hell of a lot faster than than the rest. Uh, But I I made the mistake of last year when I did this, I I made it an eight-hour clock, but people got auto-drafted in the middle of the night, and so they didn't like that. So I was like, I'll just make it a 12-hour clock. Well, unfortunately, too many people in each draft are using that 12-hour clock and still getting auto-drafted. So it's... uh, it's kind of messing the, the the back half up of the ADP a little bit, but uh, the, the the top half, the the part that I posted today on Rotographs is still pretty good. Well, that's great. Yeah, I saw that you had uh, posted that. You guys want to read that? Go ahead and jump on there. I mean, this it's a crazy time of year. We're already doing some mock drafts. I like that, uh, Justin. You were talking a little bit about some stuff with pitchers and how they're not qualifying for the innings threshold that that takes to get into the ERA title. I've talked a little bit about that with with hitters. I think we're, we're seeing the game change, and obviously that the big marker for a lot of people is the the KC team that really uh, had a. I mean, for all intents and purposes, pretty terrible staff that took them to back to back World Series. And it was because of their bullpen. And we had we heard a lot of talk about, uh, well, maybe the Yankees are best served bullpenning this game. I know Brian Kenny put that idea out, uh, you know, big time and, and, and kind of laid out the plan. And it didn't happen in, in, in theory because Luis Severino started the game. But then in practice, it absolutely happened because uh, he made one. He, he got one out. Severino did. And, and he just did not have his stuff. Uh, frisbee frisbee sliders up there flat fastballs you know uh, brian dozier goes yard right away they're up 3-0 obviously the yankees still win you know they they, they still pulled it out but uh, we saw the bullpen go eight and two-thirds and really shut the twins down obviously that's going to be their weapon going forward for the yankees you know watching that game yesterday what what do you think about the yankees chances with this bullpen and how do you feel? Let me start. Actually, let me back up. Let me start. How do you feel about Severino going forward? I heard somebody, idle thoughts, not like an analyst or anything, just some Twitter chatter about like, well, should he start again? I personally feel like he should. How do you feel about Severino now going forward after the trouncing in his first playoff game? Yeah, I mean, I think I I wrote a piece about bullpenning, and it was actually from the player's perspective about, you know, what sort of pitchers would be 
uh, well suited for this, uh, for bullpenning and all that, uh, which I think is relevant, uh, especially to Minnesota and so on. But um, I think in the in the specific case of the Yankees, I don't know that I'm necessarily think that the Severino day is the bullpen day. You know what I mean? I think yeah. Uh, to some extent, every day in the inning, in the postseason is a bullpen day. In that, uh, what happened in the wild card game can happen at any moment. You know, even in when the Giants won the World Series against the Royals. Um, in that game seven, Jeremy Affelt came in in like the second inning and, you know, it was Hudson for like four outs and then Affelt and then Bumgarner and then Bumgarner to finish. So, you know, that can, that's a separate sort of thing. That's like, I don't think that the Yankees necessarily bullpen that game. The whole idea is start with a reliever. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that can have some benefit in a game, in a win, in a game winning situation, like a one game situation in that, you could start a lefty um, and then go to Severino second or, or or go to a righty second and force the other team to do weird things with their lineup um, and play matchups from the very beginning. So that that's definitely uh, something that I think should happen in certain wild card situations and in certain game fours or game threes where it's not your Severino. Like theoretically, you want Severino to pitch more than you want Adam Warren to pitch or more or than you CC. want. Yeah. CC to pitch, you know? So like you still start Severino and hope you can get three or four innings because you don't want to pitch nine innings from your bullpen or eight and a third, you know, every game. So, you know, I think, uh, that's, there's a, there are a couple of different concepts that are being conflated. I mean, yes, the bullpen went heavy and they went hard and they, they saved the Yankee season. Um, but for example, if you're going into that game as the twins, do you want to? Do you plan on bullpenning? Because, you know, the, the they don't lefties, have a good bullpen. Yeah, they don't have a good bullpen. that's the problem. <laughs> they don't really have the bullpen to do it, and that's what always worried me. And so when they get a three zero lead, I'm thinking, now you're looking Santana Barrios, hopefully for seven innings of this game. Ideally, it obviously did not play out that way, but that would have been, in my estimation, their best path to victory. Yeah. Did not play out that way, and of course now they're going home. But um, yeah, I, I just never really thought that they had the bullpen the pitching, to hang. Pitching, Even if period. they won this game, I don't. I'm not sure how far the, yeah, the Twins yeah. would have gone with their pitching personally. Yeah, just overall the pitching is not very good. But I do think that the way that this game worked out, I think that is that does point to something that's fantasy relevant, which is that it's harder and harder to get wins. I mean. You know, Justin Mason, uh, uh, producer Justin Mason pointed out on Twitter, uh, he's at Justin Mason FWFB, uh, friends with fantasy benefits. And he had a, a year by year breakdown of, I think he referenced it, of the qualified innings, the number of starters that have reached the qualified innings threshold. That's for the ERA title. And it's gone from 81 to 88 and 13 and 14 to 58 this year. So it's crazy. Now, we are pulling uh, starters earlier, um, injuries, the 10-day DL, uh, those things are frittering away at the number of innings that you can expect out of a, a pitcher. And then just wins, which is like a normal uh, a stat that's given um, given to, to you know, that's a quite counting stat in most of our leagues, has gone from, in 2010, seven, 1,740 wins to 1,628 last year, 1,640. So that's 100 wins that are not on the table anymore. Uh, they're almost going the way of the start. stolen base. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're stolen base of, of pitching. 
Yeah, and I don't know that I'll go so far as to want to, um, you know, change my philosophy completely. You still have to compete in run, in home runs and RBI and runs, um, and those things are all interrelated. Those things are all co- co-related, basically. So if you get a home run, you get a run in an RBI, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so like, I, I, you can't punt home runs. It's too many categories. But in terms of how much I'll allocate towards speed and pitching, that may change a little bit just because uh, Rob Silver also had a great thing. He looked he looked at all of the different categories, um, you know, the threshold, the 90th, 90th percentile for all the different categories in NFBC. And he had a, he has a thread on it that's two or three days old. And you just you just look at what it takes to get into the 90th percentile. And steals is down to like fifty eight or something. Dang, like yeah. that's that's crazy. It's really difficult to want to put much money into that. Uh, you know, much of your budget or your draft stock into stolen bases. Or buy one Billy Hamilton, and you might you're really buy set. Your way into the ninetieth percentile. Yeah, I mean, you really are set because, I mean, obviously, if he gets hurt, it 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 changes things, but. I'm not sure I'm going to get somebody like that and then back him up. And it doesn't even have to be Billy Hamilton. Obviously, he's the top example. But a D. Gordon or or even somebody that steals more of like, um, you know, 30 bases as opposed to the 50, 60, 70 that we can see from that top end. If I get a 30-base stealer and then I get a bunch of, uh, you know, 8 to 12s from other guys, I'm fine. I, I I'm just – I don't see the changes that we're having and think I have to invest more in speed. In fact, I go the other way and I say, you know what? I'm less concerned with speed. I think sometimes can, people misunderstand your what we're way seeing. To, you can yeah. your way to 60 or whatever. Maybe I get the, the, the guy who stays healthy and gets a, a 30 stolen base season. He has the speed, but he hasn't really done it. And we've seen it bounce around. And Manny Machado is a great example, of course, the, the extreme example when he goes from, what was it, 20 to zero that one year and then back up this year. I think, but I'm uh, coming off of this AL labor where I ended up in a scrum for, I don't know, tied for third or fourth, basically. And, uh, and I was at the bottom in stolen bases, man. And like... I went into it thinking, you know, I'm going to buy some stolen bases. And I bought Francisco Lindor and I bought Tim Anderson and I bought uh, Eddie Rosario and I bought, I forget who else, but I, I thought, there we go. I thought, I thought that was kind of your modified approach, right? Where it was like, sure. I'm, sure. I'm paying attention to it. I'm buying into steals, but I'm not, you know, going and buying zero homer steals guys. And I ended up with like 40 steals. It's crazy. I mean, obviously, uh, Francisco Lindor was supposed to be a big part of your stolen bases, and he de- decided to hit 32 home runs instead. Right? I mean, it <laughs> just, I would I would have given that up in a second. I would give me 32 stolen bases and zero homers. Flip it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 15 homers, 33 stolen bases. I mean, flip that there. Um, you know, he had 19 last year. He he is so efficient on the bases too that I I don't think he's going to get away from from running. I do think that. Uh, I'll be really interested to see what happens with Lindor next year at age 24. The way the game is gone. I mean, the, the game has been engineered this way because stolen bases are not worth that much. And it's not great to have your pitcher see the lineup the third time around unless they're, you know, a, a dominant starter. But, um, you know, in terms of chasing wins, uh, how do you feel about that? Because I, I look at the wins leaderboard and I see a bunch of Indians. Uh, see some Red Sox. You know, I see some good teams, but I also see... Irvin Santana with six. I mean, oh, guys, I just called the Twins a bad team. 
They made the say, playoffs. That was made, a good team. <laughs> Jason Vargas would be a good one. He had 18 wins. Yeah. Zach Davies. I mean, they were a good. They were a solid team in, in Milwaukee. But, but not, not that you would have predicted those, right? So it would have been hard no. to buy that. You wouldn't have bought Jason Vargas because you thought he would win 18 games. So exactly. And Jose Urena had 14 wins, and that was. But, I, but it is inter- yeah. But it is interesting to think that this is a reason to buy an ace high. Because look at the guys who do win these, like the guys who you would have predicted to have a lot of wins. Kluber, Carrasco, Kershaw, Sale, Granke. You know, so these are uh, as Scherzer, you know, even Strasburg, who only, you know, threw 175 innings, got 15 wins. So mm-hmm. it's an argument for buying a real ace and, and moving up that ace leaderboard and, and making sure that your ace that you buy, even if you buy a back end ace, that maybe they're not on a bad team, you know. If your back end ace was Dallas Keuchel, you know that's that's all right. He'll get you 14 wins, but you know who's a who's a backup ace that didn't get a lot of wins this year? Well, let's see. I mean, Carlos Verlander, Martinez had 12. Yeah, Verlander didn't get a lot of wins. Yeah, Verlander was stuck on the Tigers for for half the year. That wasn't working. You Darvish went 10 and 12, Garth, and he was certainly yeah, somebody that you would pencil in for 15 when you when you're making out Darvish your draft plan. The Dodgers, it might be an argument for. You know, to go after him. Yeah, it goes the other way. Aranola, I guess, you know, you know, sort of ace. The, I didn't know what he would have bought him as an ace, though. And he still got 12 mm-hmm. wins. It's it's very difficult uh, to, to follow this string of thought somewhere because wins aren't predictable. That's why we developed all these other metrics. You know? Yeah, that's why that's why chasing wins, I think, is, is too difficult. I, I don't think I ever really will map out a plan where I'm chasing wins. I will continue to get the... Highest skilled pitchers and and really kind of let it fall where it may. And if I have to chase them in season, that's fine. But at the draft table, I'll never do that. Um, I will. I will just want in season, man. Who who are you gonna buy? You're gonna go get Vargas in season because of wins, and then you get the terrible half that he had. No, you get the uh, secondary starters on the good teams once those teams start to develop. Yeah, I guess that would be kind of like go get Michael Walker. He didn't cost that much, and he Lance Lynn. I mean, you know. Um, I don't know how many wins he had. I'm just saying he's a guy who usually goes deep into games. I mean, or you just trade for a starter who's doing really well. Like, I'm just not going to attack it at the draft because we're working with so little information and that plan's going to fall apart. They all get hurt too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that, you know, even with Justin's numbers on, on those, um, on the, the guys not qualifying for the innings threshold, which is going to cut into the wins. I'm just, I can't plan for that, you know. Yeah, well, to some extent, we're going. all suffering from the same issues. Exactly. It it kind of makes some of these, uh, you know, it continues to add viability to relievers too, right? The guys who come in, who we're seeing more and more firemen, and 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 they're starting to get wins. But you know, imagine it, trying to predict reliever wins. I mean, I have people ask me that in the end game. And you know David Robertson once he went to the Yankees and Chris Davinsky those are easy answers but then well, th- those are the ones you get I mean you, you can't go to you can't go too much beyond it I'm not saying to try to figure out that Michael Lorenzen's going to get eight <laughs> yeah, right. or anything like that but Michael Givens was clearly not going to get saves uh, he well, has. He a decent team that was going to win some games that he came in in the fourth inning or fifth inning or whatever. And he has great numbers otherwise too, because I don't even want, even if someone told me Michael Lorenzen is going to get eight wins, I don't care. He has an 8.7 strikeout per nine and a 4.45 ERA, but you can find those, those stud relievers that aren't going to be closing on quality teams and kind of, kind of go for it that way. 
or just continuing to get the the great closers because I think even they are starting to get more wins because teams aren't putting them in and saving them as much anymore uh, and and you know being beholden to the save. Craig uh, Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen both got five wins apiece. And, I do like know. the idea of maybe in an AL only situation, actually, instead of chasing saves so hard, I mean, you're going to buy in the saves. You might buy one or two closers, but you usually have three or four relievers on your squad because you have a dollar guy, right? You have no a, doubt. You have to have a dollar guy or two. I'm, I'm kind of into this idea of maybe buying a dollar guy like Michael Gibbons, who's not going to get saves. But if I can get him for a dollar, then I might get wins next year. So, you know, I don't know. Another guy like that might be Swarzak, depending on what team he shows up on, right? He's not necessarily, after one good year, going to be signed to be a closer unless, you know, the White Sox signed him or whatever. Same with Mike Miner in, in, in KC. I don't know. I think yeah. he's a free agent as well. And if he doesn't go somewhere and close, or if he is still with the Royals um, and doesn't end up closing, then he could be somebody that is that fireman. Green, if he stays with the Yankees, he, he ended up being on my on my labor squad, and I thought I'd drop him a million times, but it was just good He's ratios good. and five wins. You know, yep. and Maybe next year he gets more wins because they realize what they have earlier. And, I could totally uh, see him being being that guy who who works a lot of middle innings and ends up with double digit saves again I won't predict that but those are the type wins. of guys that I, I I think you look at so projecting forward on this Yankees team they're gonna face Cleveland now um I think they have a real shot I love this Cleveland team and there's no shade on this Cleveland team I just think you look think Minnesota was the clear weak link in the playoffs and um yeah I don't know. Maybe the Rockies to a degree too. We'll see how that goes tonight with, with them. But I think I think that Minnesota was the clear weak link, and so now you're looking at the AL, and I don't really see any combination of an a- a- ALCS that would surprise me. Uh, the Yankees, if they beat the Cleveland Indians, it would definitely be an upset because obviously they're they're 11 wins worse and they're the wild card team. But I don't know that uh, outside of it being a you know statistical upset that it would be that crazy. Do you think this Yankees team has has a real shot to take down Cleveland? I, I do. I mean, they're very powerful. The The bullpen is there. You know, you have all these off days built in. Um, so the biggest Yankee weakness in some ways is mitigated by the situation. And now talking about, uh, you know, being able to throw all those. I mean, it's a great bullpen. They put together a great bullpen. I mean, do we do we even see Dylan Batances yesterday? No, that's the yeah. thing. And, you know, they had to go eight and two thirds. But by the time that series starts up, Pretty much all of those guys are going to be able to go again, and Batances. And Batances, and then you haven't even seen a guy like Adam Warren, who you know can come in in the second inning or the first inning if if Tanaka doesn't have it. So, yep. um, I think you can even make Jordan Montgomery a piggyback uh, to one of these right-handers, so that you've got you know possible length from a left and right at the beginning. I love um, that idea, by the way. Right. So, like, basically, I think Jordan Montgomery. I think you. I think you pencil CC in because he's the veteran, but that might be, you know, you might think it's a bullpen game, but Jordan Montgomery is your guy that comes in behind a righty uh, in the first or second inning next time. Then it's not when you have a whole series, right? Cause you still have to have an eye on what could happen later. But Jordan Montgomery was starting to throw his curveball a lot more than his fastball. And he has, I think poor fastball command. So if he comes in there and remember when Tomlin last year, um, came in in the playoffs and just threw like 60% breaking balls. 
Uh, you think that's the path for, for Jordan Montgomery? I think Montgomery? Montgomery's going to come in just to start pumping in curveballs, and you get this big lefty with a crazy release coming in right off a of sunny gray short righty. Um, even though it's it's curveball to curveball, they're different curveballs, different release points. Um, I think that could be really effective. Or Jordan Montgomery comes in after Tanaka. Um, just completely different releases, completely different situations. So, yeah, I think Montgomery is my, in case of emergency, break glass and my rotation. I guess Severino has to get a little bit of rest. I don't know, actually, does Severino need to rest? Well, so that that's an interesting question, too, right? Because talking about bringing him back, like how quickly do you bring him back now? Because he threw a third. I mean, he threw, what, 40 I guess Gray pitches? Gray is probably. Gray's the ace now, or, I mean, the, the, or the next ace. So I guess it goes something like Gray, Tanaka, Severino, CC, and Montgomery and Warren are just there for, like, first inning takeoffs. But then it's amazing that you can say that, that they have Montgomery, Warren, uh, as as in case of, you know, emergency break glass. And then if they make it to the third inning, they've proven that they can go Robertson, Conley, um, uh, Betances, uh, uh, Chapman, and and kind of get through there if they have a lead. And we haven't even mentioned uh, Jonathan Holder. I don't know if he made the, the postseason roster, but I kind of like him. So there's well, definitely there's definitely a really good bullpen there. That's the beautiful thing about them is that you talk about breaking glass case of emergency. If a guy only goes an inning, or, you know, if they go three innings, you can say, hey, you know. You went three strong, but that last one was a little bit shaky. We're going to go ahead and take you out right now because we've got all the horses. Uh, I don't know. Did Jaime Garcia make it? He could actually be a lefty out of the bullpen. And I wouldn't hate him for two. You're talking two innings. When you really shorten some of these weak starters, obviously, and we know we talk about this a lot, relieving is much easier than starting. So when you're shortening these guys down to a couple innings, they all get a lot better. And so uh, I don't know who the second lefty was, whether it was um, – Garcia, Shreve, maybe Montgomery's the, the second lefty out of the bullpen, and that's it. I didn't, I didn't see the back end of the uh, of the roster there, and I guess they can change it too, right? Because this is a new series technically that they're going to be starting right, with right, Cleveland. Yeah, they yeah, can yeah, make we'll adjustments see. because they, I don't think they had like Tanaka and Sabathia on the roster, right? Because they didn't have to you can get extra bullpen, extra bench pieces there. So I think in some ways the bullpen. Uh, for the Yankees is better than the one for the the for the for the Indians because we've we've talked a lot about how great the Indians bullpen was. Staff might have been one of the best of all time. There's a great piece on by Sullivan, and yes, Cody Allen, Joe Smith, and uh, Andrew Miller. That's great. Maybe Danny Sal- Salazar is in that bullpen mix, but then or Clevenger, you know, or Clevenger. But then there's definitely not the same depth like the starters that the Yankees are going to turn into relievers like the Jordan Montgomery situation like I, I take Jordan Montgomery over Josh Tomlin and sure but but you go Kluber Carrasco yeah. Bauer yeah. those guys pick, have more length in them so yeah and you pick one of Tomlin Clevenger Salazar for that next starter and then I, I think Salazar starts maybe and then Clevenger's his piggyback and then Tomlin's just kind of roaming there it's not as rich as the Yankees one I agree but they shouldn't have to get you know it's not too yeah you're right they shouldn't have to go that far and McAllister is actually pretty good and Tyler Olsen Brian Shaw battle tested as well you know he was a big piece for them you know people Uh say that he's really bad but have you watched him he throws like a nasty 95 mile hour cutter thing that has like a lot of movement it's a crazy pitch no, he, he's he's pretty solid. Obviously, he's not your go-to. You, you don't want him with it on the line too often if you can avoid it, of course. But uh, I, I certainly think as a 
third or fourth sort of guy in the bullpen, Brian Shaw can get the job done. You look at the offenses of these, of these two, and I certainly think that Cleveland has more of the uh, the the elite star power. But you look up and down that Yankees mm-hmm. lineup; they they batted Todd Frazier last yesterday, and you know Todd Frazier is no schmuck. I know no, he did not have. The, did you see the thing on MLB Network where they were showing him hitting uh, Trevor Bauer curveballs? No. And he was hitting like 84 mile an hour curveballs about four or five inches off of the plate. And he hit one for a double. Well, he does. I mean, that he's, that, a funk, he's like a crazy guy like that a little bit. Yeah, he can kind of get down on that on that one knee, uh, almost Beltre style yeah. and get that one handed swing out there. And he'll go down and, and, and golf one out of there, Frazier will. And, and the, the whole thing is that pretty much their entire lineup can go yard at yeah. any given moment. Uh, I love that that they let Aaron Hicks start. They, so they've got uh, stronger defense out there in center. Um, you know, th- this offense, that, it's yeah. solid. I think you're right that the, the, the Yankees have a chance because look at the Indians. Um, you know, they're, they've got good players, but it's kind of – they're good. I mean, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, uh, Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, amazing up the middle. Um, and uh, Chisholm Hall is underrated, so I'm not going to – uh, talk smack on him, but the kind of starting outfield is Chisholm, Kipnis, Bruce is a little bit weird. I mean, no doubt. Bruce is like negative defense. Kipnis is like second game in center field. I was going to say, we don't really know if yeah. it's a negative or not, but you know, any poor play that he makes is going to be highlighted oh my God. Uh, by the fact that he's not a true center fielder. And, and so his and margin type wise, does he seem like a center fielder? I mean, he seems kind of like a, like I'd almost rather see Jose Ramirez. I mean, they're both kind of barrel chested, Second baseman, they're not like um, I don't know. They're Losing not Zimmer even hurts. Cesar Hernandez or something would be more of a you know kind of a athletic center fielder type. You know? I know, I know Zimmer's kind of bat was was struggling, but losing uh, him in the outfield like that's that's one of those guys that gets to play through his slumps because he's such a plus in the outfield, uh, almost in a, in a Byron Buxton sort of mold. You saw that through four months this year where. You know they're playing Buxton every day, partly because obviously he's their their future with the big uh, as a huge prospect, but also because his defense was such a major plus that they could kind of wait till the bat came around, and of course it it, it did. Um, you know Incarnacion's there. I think they have a deficiency at catcher. Certainly, yeah, with, don't with they the have hitting. don't they have more holes in the lineup than the Yankees? I mean, Ursula I so. is a glove first guy. Santana is probably worse than anybody in the in the Yankees lineup right now. Is that true? Um, not I mean, I would, I would take other. Santana over Frazier. I think that is comparable. All right. I yeah. Mean, what, what, what's the real difference? Like, Frazier more neither of them Santana really hits for average. Base, yeah. I can get Santana on base pretty regularly with, with, with at least a walk. Frazier's more um, thing. You know, what it really is. is then you still have Ursula and Perez who are like definitely. Zeros. Yeah. There's zeros with the bat. And, and you do kind of that catcher matchup. Yeah, the Yankees, or excuse me, the Indians, whichever Gomes or Perez is going to win on defense, but they're going to give it all back and then some with the bat in terms well, of. Might, you know, if they win, you remember when the I remember growing up like the Braves. Um, you know, the the first time the Braves were good, uh, it was there was a series against the Pirates, and it was and it was all pitching and defense for the Braves and and role players, and I remember the big iconic moment was Sid Bream rounding third mm-hmm. uh, on bad knees and and just sliding home, and, and that was the big win. But 
what people don't remember so much was um, I forget his first name, man. I, just, I was such a fan and a kid. It, Cabrera, I think it was like Mauricio. Oh, Cabrera. like uh, no, no, that's who they have now. Was it Francisco Cabrera? Maybe. Yeah, I think it was their backup catcher because Javi Lopez was their starting catcher. So their 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 starting their their backup catcher knocked in their like veteran like 35 year old bad need first baseman um and i kind of see that if the indians win this i could see a moment like that you know if the indians win this series i could see giovanni ursula or, or, or yandy diaz you know comes in for a pinch hitting opportunity because ursula's bat's not so good and he he hits in you know santana on a on like a, a on a stinging single, and Santana has to you know round the bases and 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 win this you know win a big game. So, um, you know, I could see something like that happening, and it's almost Braves like in intention. You know, you're talking about you know a great starting staff, uh, good bullpen, and on offense, frankly, guys that you found you know <laughs> with a couple couple you know uh, stars that you added via trade or or kind of fading veteran stars so you know i guess it could be the braves versus yankees redux in 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 different forms all right let's move on to the nl game tonight and uh get a thought on who you think's gonna win and why you know um arizona versus colorado in arizona zach Greinke against john gray you know these two teams have been out in front of that nl lead pretty much all year the uh the the uh, Rockies came back to the pack a little bit, gave some hope to a few of those teams, namely the the Brewers and I believe the Cardinals for a brief time. But in the end, they held on. So these two two division foes are going to match. It's going to be really interesting if the Diamondbacks win because they gave the Dodgers a lot of trouble this year. Who do you like tonight, Arizona or Colorado? I actually picked Arizona to beat the Dodgers. I did too. Um, actually. There's an interesting piece that everyone should read because it's super fantasy relevant. And um, it's something that everyone should know about. Rob Arthur wrote a piece about hot pitchers. And he basically said that there is a hot... Different, you're talking about pitching well. Okay, I'm sorry. Different podcast. So, okay. uh, <laughs> right, so uh, he just basically said that uh, pitchers have their good fastball at certain times in the year. And that that can be measured in velocity and that that contributes to a hot hand for pitchers. And if you basically use, you know, the last five fastballs that they threw, you can predict how they're going to do in the next game better than just straight projections would. So uh, basically went and showed that Kershaw, Hill and there's one more Wood. Kershaw, Hill, and Wood are all coming off of cold periods with regards to their fastball. And I think there might be more in there uh, to, to kind of figure out cold periods. But basically, he said the Dodgers are all coming in cold. And, That's uh, interesting. you know, it's, I think it's not that necessarily the Diamondbacks are coming in hot. It's just that the, if the Dodgers starting pitching is coming in cold, I think that the Diamondbacks can match the Dodgers in a lot of the other facets of the game. And I actually like their starting staff, you know. Oh, I, I, I really like it. And one, but one of the things that we see a lot is we want to impress some st- September stuff into October. And we hear it from players, too. The calendar flips, and it 
there is kind of the wash everything away and start anew. So we could see these Dodgers come out of the cold period, hit that refresh button, all of a sudden they're on they're on their game. I think that's the, likely uh, for for hitters. Maybe the adrenaline can might be able to help them, especially touch a ninety nine mile an hour fastball at the tits, like uh, like uh, uh, like what's his face did uh, Dozier did. Mm-hmm. So you know that I think adrenaline can help. But you know if the underlying, I think what we're talking about is injury. If the under, if you and we and I spotted this with Sean Mania in the second half, his spin rate tanked, and I said he should be shut down. And I don't want to. We'll we'll go back to Mania because he's on the list. Sorry, I know. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, but I said, you know, stay away from him. I dropped him in leagues where, you know, I could or wasn't sort of a keeper league situation. And I think that that if you took spin rate and and fastball velocity, like I think that would be very important for DFS play, for example. But I think it can also be useful for even like eight to ten team leagues where you're like, oh, man, this guy who's like supposed to be my number two. His spin rate is down. His velocity is down. He's, you know, he's not playing well. I'm not going to necessarily hold on to him through this period. Like maybe he's droppable. Um, and, and I think we see that a lot with pitchers who just turn on a dime and are just no good anymore. And I think spin rate and velocity are, are a big part of being able to predict that. So I, 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 I kind of don't know what's going to happen in this wild card game. But I think that if the Diamondbacks can get out of it, they're actually in a better, sh- better position. Uh, to take the Dodgers on. Oh, I agree. So. And and right down to the fact that, again, they had uh, a lot of regular season success against them. Robbie Ray was 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 the Dodger killer. I think he had like three games against them with 10-plus strikeouts. Uh, I do wonder, is it going to be one of those things where it's like, hey, they did so well against them in the regular season, but now that we're in the playoffs, it's a, it's a lot different. And are, you know, uh, are the Dodgers going to be like, yeah, you, you got us in the regular season, but now it actually matters. Right. I mean, and they kind of flip it. Yeah. That kind of th- talks to the uselessness of batter versus pitcher numbers. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But and, they were, and it was only 11 and eight uh, was the record that the, Do- that the Dimebacks had against the Dodgers. It's not like they rolled them, uh, you know, 17 and two or something like that. Right, so, right, right. you know, uh, by the way, interesting factoid that needs to be addressed is that they they did outscore colorado this year they they beat them 11 8 as well but they outscored them 101 to 69 so it's this weird instance where colorado had the lower score but actually the better number with 69 runs scored so i don't know i think that gives them the clear edge now yeah. oh yeah and kershaw sucks in the playoffs justin's a reminder yeah, we, we can go. never forget he's the never worst forget. pitcher ever in the playoffs no. just ask anybody with no brain and I and I did just make fun of batter versus pitcher numbers, and I'm good, just about to say one. Uh, Trevor Story is very good against Zach Greinke. Now, here's the reason why I mentioned this, and I and I'm not even sure that I should, even though I think batter versus number batter versus pitcher numbers suck. The reason I mention it is because Trevor Story is amazing against four seams and sucks against two seams. Oh, Zach Greinke's four seam is a lot better than his two seam, and. I tried to look into this, and the year-to-year correlation was was bad. It's not very sticky in terms of, you a know, pitcher ver- or a hitter versus a pitch. You mean? No, uh, yeah, yeah, hitter versus a pitch, and and specifically, uh, I tried to split because Eugenio Suarez has been a sinker hitter, uh, and this year he took an aggressive atro- approach to four seamers, and that was basically the, a big part of his breakout. So, you know, is that going to stick? Uh, Is Trevor Story going to continue being bad against two seamers or is it part of that adjustment readjustment cycle where, you know, he saw more two seamers 
Um, you know, so he's he's struggling to adjust against that, and maybe he's going to break out against two seamers, and then people will start throwing four seamers against him. Or maybe it's just about what kind of pitchers he saw this year. That maybe he just saw a bunch of pitchers that had good four seamers or bad four seamers, whatever. So um, I think it's a very difficult thing to to bring up. However, if you think about it from a mechanical standpoint, there have to be pitch types that certain hitters struggle with. If you have a flat swing, you can hit the high fastball. Dozier has a reasonably reasonably flat swing, actually. Um, and if you have more of a Cody Ballinger swing, there has to be a pitch type that, I mean, people talk about throwing him high and tight, you know, uh, because it's just hard for him to get there. So um, I do think that batter versus pitch type is can be more useful than batter versus pitcher. And we may see a homer from a story off of Granky. And if it's a three or four run homer, it could, it could turn the whole game because the Rockies, uh, I wrote about this too. The Rockies have a great bullpen. I mean, that's the underrated factor over, about that. You know, yeah. Yep. It's a really, that's, I uh, think that was a big, big part of their change this year and why they, why they were successful is that they've had a bullpen. In addition, you know, the, the starting pitching gets a lot of credit and it should because they actually had multiple starters that they could rely on. And, you know, relying on, on a starter in, in Colorado is a lot different than, than just about anywhere else. So they got a bunch of guys with, with low to mid fours, and that's considered a great rotation for them, of course, because of their environment. And John Gray with a 367 uh, leads the pace there. But as you mentioned, that bullpen is a really big factor uh, for them. That's going to kind of be key to their success, obviously, if they win tonight and, and going forward. Uh, I'll be really interested to see how Colorado hangs with, uh, w- with, with the Dodgers. But I really – I know I haven't given it as much thought because I really feel like Arizona's going to win. It's one game, though, so it's really – I mean, it's so difficult to have any sort of, you know, great feel like, oh, Arizona's heavily favored. I mean, it's, it's – it's, you just never know uh, with, with the one game, especially with division this foes. Is more, this is more evenly matched. Oh, this is a – They've seen each other point. a million times. Yep. And you've got a you've got two good starting pitchers, two good back end bullpens. The, the Rockies have a better middle of a bullpen, but in some ways, uh, the Rockies have struggled on the road with offense. And in some ways, struggled at home at times too. By the way, like that, yeah, some of their walls. Yeah, if you compare their offense, and this is actually an interesting thing that that I may write about that Ryan Parker found. He's a he's a hitter hitting coach. And he, he, he I, I had noticed this, but he put it into a certain perspective. The Rockies are last in the league in launch angle. They, wow. Why do you think that is? Did he uh, underline so we, why we he talked about it a little bit. And I think it's this. If you you hit the low line drives, normally they don't do very well. Like, normally they don't do as well. Like in a normal park, they don't do as well. But in Colorado, those low line drives are finding outfield grass all the time. That's how you win a batting mm. title. You know, that's how... Yep. You take advantage of that big outfield. so Or you sit out for a few games at the end. Got him. Suck it, DJ LeMahieu. <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm really not that burnt about it. I just I know everyone made a big so, deal about it last year. So, um, yeah, DJ. All right. Uh, but uh, but I think then you go on the road. This could be part of their struggles on the road, too. You go on the road, and you hit those same line drives, and they find more gloves. They don't have as much distance, right, because they don't. it's th- thicker air. So mm-hmm. instead of going over the second baseman's head, they 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 sort of die at the second baseman maybe. So um, you know it's an interesting idea that they, they may have an approach like that. That Coors may 
lull them. And, and, and you know, I wrote before about how Coors lulls them into a fastball-heavy approach because they see more fastballs because they're uh, because breaking Nothing balls. breaks. Yeah, so pe- pitchers don't throw the breaking balls, so they see more fastballs, so they have more fastball approach. They, they become more aggressive. They have a fastball approach. They go on the road, and they see a bunch of junk. So, you know, both of these things together – could give you sort of an idea of why it must really suck to be a rocket. I, I mean, mean, it's <laughs> tough. Like that, it, even as we, a hitter. I think sometimes it, the 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 road disadvantage gets sloughed off, and it's just all talks all about their ro- their home advantage, and not enough is uh, not enough credence is given to the fact that going on the road is difficult. By the way, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and they actually perform pretty poorly in Arizona, which is a, a offensive friendly environment. Uh, as well, they only posted a 6.42 OPS there in 379 plate appearances with a 28% strikeout rate. Uh, compare that to Arizona in their own home park, hitting 8.42 OPS, 23% strikeout rate. So, I mean, there there is a, a even though you are going to another offensive friendly environment, the, the the Diamondbacks have have held them down in Arizona. So we'll see how that goes tonight. I'm picking Arizona. You're picking Arizona. Justin, who you got? I've got Colorado. You got Colorado. Do you have them beating the Dodgers after they move on, though? Uh, oh, that's hard. Yes, yes. I'm, I think this is Colorado's year. I feel like I this... hope. Oh. I just think it'd be fun. So, like, I, I picked Arizona, but, but I just think if Colorado wins, I want them to keep going. Which, I mean, if Arizona wins, I want them to keep going, too. I, I think there's a lot of interesting. It's going to be a fun playoff. I really do think so. It started off with a bang yesterday, um, and then we get this game going here shortly. But I do want to shift back into our 2018 talk, the, the who you drafted first, focused on guys that are uh, on, on non-playoff teams. So we're talking about a lot of different players uh, from the teams that didn't make it. We'll have plenty of time to continue talking about the playoff players. Uh, and Justin, I'm going to have you in on these to, to talk about both your opinions as well as give us some ADPs from the drafts that you've conducted. I want to start in the middle infield, guys, with a uh, Zach Cozart versus Angelton Simmons. And, you know, unbeknownst to myself, Kind of picked one right on the nose here. The ADPs that that Justin has, 158 for Zach Cozart, 157.25 for Angelton Simmons. So those two are going right by each other. Eno, I'll start with you. Who are you preferring between Cozart and Simmons after their breakout years? Both of them dominated this year. Well, Simmons' slide in the second half is interesting. Simmons was probably worse for longer than Cozart um, with that sort of two, three-year fallow period where he had – you know, six homers and five stolen bases a year. It was so bad that I we think talk, we talked about it before, and it was it was just so bad though. And I and I'm a little suspicious of like the 19 stolen base breakout. You know, it's uh, it's a little weird. I, I feel like you know he 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 tries a steal early in the season and slides awkwardly over the base and hurts his ankle or or hurts a finger, and his team is like, yo. You know, don't do that. Stop doing that. At least it came <laughs> after a 10 stolen base season last year and didn't come after like a one or a zero sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. But like nobody's going to tell Zach Kozar to stop hitting homers. So uh, exactly. But I guess then there's a little bit of a question of where does Zach Kozart sign and how much of an issue uh, would that be? And then you have to sort of think about like what teams would spend money on shortstop you know you kind of look at maybe the orioles but they just got tim beckham and i think tim beckham's the starter next year uh the rays went and got you know a danny hecaveria which was a little bizarre but 
you know, I guess they they had good fielding metrics on him. People always said that he was a really great defender, so that's that's what they're doing. You know, the Diamondbacks have like three guys who could play shortstop. I'm I'm kind of going through the bottom of the shortstop rankings by our depth charts. And if he ends up in Arizona, that's not that's probably a lateral move for Cozart. So, um, you know, the White Sox aren't spending. I can't believe the Brewers would buy him. The Marlins, you know, are either going to fire sale or, well, I guess if the Marlins signed him, if they're going to go the other direction and sign people, then that would be concerning, I guess. That would be bad. Do you think they trade Stanton, by the way, just as a quick aside? You think the Marlins trade Stanton with the, with the new ownership? Don't new owners want to come in and win. That's what I was thinking. I think that they will but try what they can to sign people. Look, but if they're going to be at, honest about it, maybe they're going to say, you know what, this, this team isn't ready yet. Although, I mean, they have offense. If they could get a couple uh, pitching pieces, may, maybe they would be able to compete uh, Stanton early on. Stanton didn't even get didn't even get claimed. So. If you if you shop Stanton and people offer you uh, their version of Dan Straley, basically saying we'll take the money off your hands, then I say I th- say you say no. We keep Stanton and we try to try to put some pieces around him. I mean, I what do you want the- if you if you're building in Miami? What do you want? You want a guy who can hit it out of that park because it's so mm-hmm. difficult, right? And you have two guys who can hit it out of that park. You have a, a prototypical number two hitter in Christian Yelich. Yes, you have a problem on the infield. Is basically the whole infield? Is that a problem? Mm-mm, Justin Bohr. Ah, right. Other than first base, the whole infield's a problem. But maybe you go. Maybe you find out that nobody wants to sign Zach Cozart, and the and the Reds themselves are kind of like, wow, we don't really have the money, and the Blue Jays are gonna go with uh, some guy. I guess maybe Tulowitzki is still signed with them. Um, he's not showing up in the depth charts, so maybe he's still there. Um, I, I forget when his his deal runs runs out. But the Royals aren't going to sign Cozart, and so maybe Cozart falls to the Marlins. The, in that situation, I might might take Simmons because Simmons has shown what he's shown in his park, and he's going to be there again. There's a little okay. bit of a risk that Cozart leaves his park situation, but I think. I'm about like 80% Cozart. Justin, where do you lean between Cozart and Simmons for next year? I, I think Eno pretty much nailed it. Uh, it really, for me, depends on where Cozart ends up. I think there is a good chance that he ends up back in Cincinnati. Uh, he seems to be kind of a fan, or a fan favorite, clubhouse favorite. Uh, Go, I don't think that was all him, right? Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, <laughs> um, so and and I I don't think there's going to be a huge market like you mentioned for him. I, I just don't see where he could end up. Uh, answering the Stanton question, I don't know how you, as a new owner, can come in and eat a bunch of money on a guy to get prospects, uh, or uh, <laughs> or not eat a bunch of money and get nothing back in return, and then right. have to turn right? to a fan so, base and be like, "Hey, come, come see our, you know, come, come hang see out. our team." <laughs> We so, got Joe Panic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know there are a lot of Giants fans on Twitter being like, "Oh, go out and go out and get Stanton." I was like, "Yeah, For there's what? just yeah. yeah, one, the Giants have nothing in their system, uh, and two, uh, I don't think the Giants can afford to take on that contract anyways, which I yeah. think they'd have to empty out the system plus take on the contract." So uh, right. I, I just don't see it happening uh, in Miami them them getting rid of Stanton, at least not in the first year. 
no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you guys there. And I think I do lean toward, toward Cozart. Of course, I would like to see where he lands uh, as well. But, I mean, he's had some power outbursts before. Last year's, you know, he hit 16 homers last year, but only played 121 games. This year, a career-high 24. He is going to be 32 next year, so that's definitely a factor. But I'm not signing him to a long-term deal. I'm just talking about next year only. So I think I lean with you guys there. Let's talk about one that has a little bit more split, but I'm, I'm going to give Eno a chance to talk about his buddy, uh, Ozzy Albies. Ozzy Albies versus Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield's at 65.5 on on the ADP for Justin's drafts, and Albies is at 163. I knew they would be would be split in terms of ADP because Albies hasn't put up a season like Merrifield yet. But I can certainly see, perhaps, you know, with the help of Eno, uh, Albies being kind of an off-season riser to maybe uh, you pair that with uh, nice spring training as well. And then all of a sudden, maybe we're talking somebody who might actually get overinflated if, if you really think about it. But the skills are there. So I will let Eno go first here again. Albies versus Merrifield. Go ahead, Eno. Yeah, I have... Uh... I can't think it, – it, this is the way that I want to phrase it, and it's terrible. I have a hard-on for Ozzy Albies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just – it's it's a terrible way to say it. But uh, I, I just love – I mean, if you watch him, he plays with reckless abandon. His feet are always going 100 miles an hour. He's got this big smile. He's quirky. He, he's having fun. And then you look at his peripherals above average walk rate in it's a small sample, but it's a third of a season. It's not bad, you know, above average walk rate, above average contact rate, above average strikeout rate, above average power, eight of nine stolen bases. It's a full all around game. It's second base is a tough situation. I think a baseline projection for next year would still have him at sort of, you know, 10 to 15 homers and 20 plus stolen bases. And I think that a baseline projection for Merrifield is going to be very similar. And then you go to the fact that Ozzy Albies is not even 21, which is why no. I should not be talking about hard-ons. I mean, it's not, <laughs> even, it's not even legal, I think. So, Age 20 season, and he comes yeah. up for 57 games and you know, uh, shows out, really. I mean, 286, 354, 456, 9% strike, uh, walk rate, 15% strikeout rate, 6 homers, 8 stolen bases, 8 for 9 on the bases, by the way. Stole 21 on 23 attempts in AAA, hit another 9 homers there, hit 13 total triples, 8 at AAA, 5 in the yeah. majors. I mean, it, it's, all, it's all there right now. Of course, that first full season is usually kind of a, a punch in the mouth for young players, though. So I do think that there will be some fallow periods within the within a first full season. But, you know, and I know we just got done talking about how we're not going to be aggressively chasing speed, of course, at this price point and even a higher one. If it if it meanders up to, say, I don't know, 120 uh, pick 120 for Albies, I still don't think that's necessarily an egregious overpay. And you get somebody who even if the power isn't quite there yet and he does only hit maybe 10 over a full season as opposed to the 18 that his numbers kind of extrapolate to right now or, or, or 15 or so, that's fine because I think he really could steal 30-35 at shortstop for you with Albies. So I, I, I certainly like that. I think at the cost, it, it makes it easier to lean toward Albies right now. But I do want to talk about Merrifield too because he did have a fantastic season. And you talk about efficiency on the bases – and he certainly has that going in his game as well. He went 34 for 42 on the bases this year. He's 42 for 53 over his career. He had part of the power explosion, 19 homers. 
only had a 9% homer to fly ball rate, though, too. It's not like he had some egregious homer to fly ball rate that spurred his power. He has a late breakout at age 28, so he'll be 29 next year. But I think Merrifield, you know, is going to be good. Is he worth a top 70 pick, though, Eno? That's that's what uh, that's what's so interesting about ADP right now and our conversations and your little comment about, you know, what this podcast could do, because um, I know that there's people who play me who listen to me. And, you know, if there's if, the, if it's going up at auction, I think in my leagues, Albie's going to cost more than Merrifield. So, okay. in you know, in those situations, I might say, all right, man, you pushed me way further than I wanted to go for Albie's. So I'll take Merrifield, who I think can steal 20 bases. And if he can steal 20 bases, he's relevant. You know, he's he's a, he's a relevant second baseman, maybe middle infielder. Even if his power doesn't come back to the same level, I could see, you know, I could see him still being worth it at 10 homers, 275 batting average, and 20 stolen bases. It's not, you know, star level, and it's probably, it, it might call maybe make some people call him a bust, but I think actually in terms of value, that would be a very good season. I think so, you know even the 270 275 might be selling him short. He's hit 283 and a half season last year, 286 in a full season this year. Justin, out of the aspects of Merrifield's game and he had it all this year, what do you think holds what what is the outlook for Merrifield in 2018 for you? You know, I'm I'm a little I, I was really down on Merrifield even when he was breaking out, and so I, I, I've eaten a lot of crow over over the huge breakout. I, I still wonder how legit the power is and if that takes a seat back. The other thing I worry about with Merrifield for next year is what does that lineup look like around him? Ooh. Hosmer, free agent. Kane, free agent. Moustakas, free agent. Uh, I mean, no Don't really forget Alcides about, Escobar. Yeah, say, exactly. <laughs> Setting everything up there at the top with his... 180 OBP. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're losing a lot of pieces. I really only think that they're going to sign one of them, and I'm not sure which one. So you can add back one of those guys, but you're losing a, a big chunk. That's a great point. And it's not like their farm system is set up to bring a whole bunch of guys up either because, you know, they kind of emptied it out a little bit during this run, which I completely understand. And then they kept it together this year and made another push, which, again, I understand, but it does leave them a little empty next year. With the cost discrepancy of about 100 picks right now, do you also lean toward Albies, Justin? I think you have to. I mean, the upside, the the Braves, in spite of all the kind of turmoil that's going on in the in the front office uh, right now, uh, it is an up and coming team. They're going to have more prospects coming up. Uh, they have they have a little bit of money to go out and spend if they want to do that as well. I, I think uh, hit batting in front of uh, Freddie Freeman is going to help. Uh, being able to uh, hit from the left hand side in that in that park is going to help. Yeah, that uh, park instead of Kaufman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh I yeah. So. I, I just yeah. think that Albie's has. Somewhat, it's weird to say he is somewhat of a safer floor, even being 21, with with the team around him, the the park, uh, being in the National League, and uh, he has a much higher upside. So the idea that I can get him uh, as many as 100 picks later, yeah, I'm, think, I'm waiting on Albies. I think that that number might change, but I think even even if it does, I I don't mind taking him at even if pick it's 120, 100. Yeah. That's that's fine with me. Yeah, even if it's a 50 point, a 50. Uh, you know, point difference. I, I'm still into it. So yeah, uh, it, I think it would have to actually flip for me to take Merrifield. I mean, he's 28. He's gonna be 29 next year. You know, you're right about the lineup factors. And if there's any sort of regression, I think that the you know the unknown for both of these guys, the unknown is 
shifted towards bad for Merrifield and towards good for Albies. Because exactly, because you, you don't age, know if Merrifield's going to continue and he could fall of, off. Because and also because I, I brought this up with Albies, uh, you know, I brought it up early, so I'm just going to you know wrench my back out, patting myself on the back. But I I mentioned that um, Albies had a good uh, power ground ball fly ball mix for power in the minors this year, and uh, and it and, played out. And it played out. So, you know, he's going to take advantage of the, the ball difference. And I could see the projections being, you know, really low. But even if he only hits to that 130 ISO. Oh, and, I, and also to your point about the long season, uh, I just wanted to point out that he almost had 700 plate appearances this year. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he, he played through it all there with, with, when you when you factor in the AAA and the double A. And that's for a 20-year-old showing out at the top two levels of the and game. Had, That's really impressive. He had bad times. I remember he had bad times. There were times when people said Albies, you know, because last year he got demoted back to double A. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was kind of, and I think even this year he didn't necessarily start out gangbusters or he had some sort of fallow period. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm in the tank for Albies and I'm going to like, we need to call like a moratorium on talking about him. Um, to uh, It'll be try tough. to tamp down any value changes. That might well, well, you know what we should do, though, is actually confine it all to October and November, and that we'll way, forget. you know, people, <laughs> yeah, people will forget, and then when it comes around and, well, and yeah, really wrap up in January, get the, va- get the value of <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And then when everyone starts coming back on in January, we're like, Albie's who? And then it'll just be a wink to our, our longtime listeners. All right, let's go to another one here. And, uh, you know, this one, Pits one guy kind of on his down end uh, versus a guy who had another big season. Judd Jerko uh, had a solid season. Kyle Seeger certainly did not have the the same level of season that he'd been having where he was kind of progressively adding to his home runs every year. He fell back from 30 to 27, which is fine. But the big drop-off was the batting average, 278 to 249. And uh, that kind of hit his season this year. But if you really look at it, everything was in the range of outcomes for Seeger. But I think because of everybody going up around him, his pullback uh, certainly felt a little bit more severe. So I pitted these two next to each other, figuring that it would be a cost-based thing again. Cal Seeger at 85 right now, 85.25. And then Jed Jerko currently undrafted. Now, none of these drafts are done yet, but they're they're deep enough that I'm I'm kind of surprised because I see some of these pitcher uh, ADPs in the 200s. I'm surprised Jerko hasn't gone yet, but that might just speak to the depth of power where you know, getting 20 homers and a 260 average isn't that appealing to anybody. Justin, we'll start with you this time. Jerko versus Seager, who you like better next year? I mean, as much as Seager's taken a little bit, and I, I want to emphasize a little bit of a step back. I think, Absolutely. I don't want to overrate the step back. I think the average will come back. Uh, and the one stat that didn't take a step back uh, like it did for Jerko is the plate appearances. Like, I, I know Seager is going to play every day. He's had, what, five, six, seven, eight straight seasons of at least 154 uh, games played. Uh, He's going to be in there every day. He's going to be producing. Uh, It may not be super flashy, but I I think it it at least is. uh, I know, especially in deeper formats that I like to play, uh, I'm going to get production. Whereas, uh, you know, one of the things that was brought up in the comment section of the ADP uh, uh, post I made on these mocks was, like, why is Tommy Pham so low after such a great season? And in my response to that, well, my response is like I don't trust Mike Matheny, like I don't trust the Cardinals organization. 
that's fair too and, and and his health beyond the eyes as well and i love fam but I, I try to wet blanket myself a little bit and not get too too sprung i got i was in on the alan craig experience and believing that that was the beginning of uh you know six year run of uh, you know you don't mm-hmm. you don't project out like you do when a 23 year old breaks out but i definitely felt like okay here we go with fam i i that's gonna he's gonna be a really divisive guy in drafts for sure i i think with with jerko another thing too is that you're not going to get the position flexibility that you had coming into this year where he qualified literally at second third and short and uh this year it was all third base pretty much 109 games there 10 games at, se- at first base so if you use and, and five games at second so if you use really flexible position eligibility you can get that first and second but the standard is 20 games so you're looking at third base only in in most standard formats so that kind of cuts into jerko's value i guess the real difference then is you pay the toll on seager you know uh, over Jerko, or do you wait for Jerko and try to uh, piece it together, assuming he'll get 125 of the games, and then you'll have to replace those other, uh, you know, 30 or so games that Seager usually gets with somebody else? How do you feel about that uh, breakdown between those two? You know, given our conversation that started this about qualified starters and qualified batters, and and how the game is going a little bit Shanahan and and. Uh, you know, just everybody, everything's a running back by committee now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'd much rather have Seager. I think that, the like, we can overrate how much we can get off the waiver wire. Because if you have Jerko, it's not that he's missing those 30 games on the DL where you can stash exactly. him and pick somebody up. It's it means games that, a week. Right. It means that you have to have a second guy on your roster. So now you have to have a second slot. Now, would I mind... You know, having Jerko as a supplementary guy, if he had all those extra eligibilities, that type of player, I think, should be drafted maybe a little bit higher, especially in head-to-head. But, you know, the kind of guy, and especially in daily leagues, the kind of guy that can make sure that you get to your 162-game limit at each of your positions, that is something I may look into next year and and, and at least identify so that at the end of my draft, I can say, who's this year's Jerko? Who's this year's guy who can play at four or five positions for me and just make sure I get to my maximums? That I I think that's what I'm gonna take away from Jerko. And I also think that Kyle Seeger is a really interesting discussion. I wanted to look at his expected batting average given his launch angle and exit velocities, and it's it's totally different. He should have hit 255. So, you know. <laughs> That's six points way different. That still would have been a, a career worse, though. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it, it it is interesting to me, though, that given his power and given his strikeout rate, that his his year his career BABIP is 285, his career batting average is 263. I think to some extent it it's uh, Seattle. To some extent, it's hitting more fly balls than ground balls. Say, he had a big jump in fly balls, career high 52% for Kyle Seager, and that Eight into his batting batting average on balls in play, and subsequently his batting average. So he's I think a, he's yeah he's like a, like an overstudier too. So possibly, you know, he wanted to take advantage of the ball and kind of maybe aim that launch angle too high, and maybe he'll make adjustments. But I mean, I do like the fact that we're talking about a guy who's gotten close to 700 plate appearances for six straight years in a league where it's harder and harder to get that. He's 30. I don't think this is his Hunter Pence moment. Where you know he comes in next year and gets hurt, um, and doesn't and doesn't do the 650. So there, I think there's some value in the 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 volume. You know, maybe the team gets a little bit better. Um, 
and the, you know he should hit a little bit better than 249. So I, I wonder how I feel about Kyle Seager. I'm gonna have to run the projections um, and have to look at you know how how he's working out dollar wise. I may end up with him at third base because there's people looking for stars at third base, and I think third base, especially in an AL labor situation, third base is a fine place to go get a boring guy. Yeah, and if you look at uh, NFBC from this year, his his price is only dropping 20 picks, which that's good. I mean, you know, Justin got a really smart market together, a lot of smart people from the industry. So I'll be interested to kind of see how it goes in more public leagues and if, if they make him pay a more severe price for what, again, will be perceived as a down season but really wasn't that different outside of the batting average. Uh, I, I'll lean Singer, too. I'll pay that freight. Still would maybe be open to drafting Jerko. But uh, I just wanted to compare those two to kind of see how you guys felt if, if you were going to be chasing the the perceived value of, of getting the guy later or just paying the freight on Kyle Seager because I think that price tag is pretty much for the games played, and I'm in on it. All right, let's shift over to the pitcher ones. We have a couple. Michael Fulmer getting the, uh, the ulnar nerve surgery, same surgery that uh, Jacob deGrom got. Doesn't necessarily mean he'll come back like Jacob deGrom, but uh, everything you read suggests that he's going to be fine. Heading into the season, might have some hiccups early, uh, but it should stabilize and be good. Obviously, once you get cut on, it's different for everybody, so don't just assume that Fulmer will be good to go, but I'm not terribly panicked by him having to get that uh, uh, surgery, and I put him up against Chase Anderson. Now, you look at uh, Fulmer going 132, even with this news, and Chase Anderson, on the heels of an excellent season, has only gone in one of Justin's drafts, and it was at pick 209. This one really surprised me that they would be so split. Eno, I'll start with you because as a former Chase Anderson backer, you turned us on to him back in Arizona. I'm not sure you expected a 274 ERA when he moves for, you know, to Milwaukee. I kind of had resigned to the fact that he was a 4-5 starter type. Who do you like better between Fulmer and uh, Anderson with the price difference? You know, Fulmer had a history of injury. So now having an actual surgery and injury on his docket – continues that injury history and makes it less likely that he's going to have a full slate of, of innings next year. I think that's something important to note. Uh, I think it's important to point out that Chase Anderson is throwing harder than he's ever thrown, and he finally has above-average velocity for the first time. So if you think of him as sort of a 91-mile-an-hour um, soft tosser, that's not necessarily true anymore. He averaged 93.7 on the four-seam this year. Um, he's really interesting in that he has a rising fastball and a very good changeup. It's not um, a, a combo that you see a lot of. And uh, this year's breakout was from throwing the cutter more often and throwing the changeup in two-strike counts more often and just generally being uh, harder to predict because he has three off-speed pitches now that he throws almost equally. So uh, there's a lot to like about what he did. Uh, at the same time, you know, yes, he does get, uh, you know, 12% whiffs on his four seam. That's pretty amazing. Um, but otherwise, um, it's hard to sort of uh, point out a standout pitch. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like he doesn't have a lot of strikeouts is another way of saying it. And uh, and for today's game, you know, the, the strikeout rate that he had, 23%, it's, it's okay, but you know, once you regress that at all to anything towards his 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 career average, then you get the projections, which is for a four or five ERA and blah blah blah. 
Um, do I? I think the big main thing is: Do you think he's going to continue giving up home runs like he has? Do you think he's going to do going to be better like he was this year, or is he going to go back to giving up home runs like he used to? Well, that's the crazy thing because Chase Anderson went from one hitter-friendly venue to another, and yet sharply. Imp- and, and by the way. Homers got worse with Milwaukee the first time last year and then made a sharp jump this year uh, to the positive end at .89, which is still, you know, it, you write your stones throw away from from one per, um, you know. So I, I'm not sure that he, like, fixed his home run issue. If you look, a 9% homer to fly ball ratio was a big key in that. But the fact that he also added pitches, the ground ball rate went up a little bit. I do think there are some other factors that kind of support it. I really do like I, I like Michael Fulmer a lot, and I still I still think there's strikeout upside there. You talk about a guy who who has you know strikeout issues in a in a environment where it's hard to. He only struck out 17 percent this year, and that's really tough. But I'm still talking about a 25 year old who I think can actually you know be in that eight plus range. I really I really do when when his stuff is on, uh, especially with that added changeup, it's there. But I think right now he's kind of focused on efficiency and that's been the driving force behind uh behind Fulmer's game plan. I think with the price discrepancy though, again one thirty two for Fulmer and Anderson in only one yeah. draft at two oh nine, I think I lean Anderson here because added pitches, cut into the homers Still, you know, only 30. It's not it's not ancient by any stretch. I think that's where I'm going there. Uh, and then especially because you add in the uh, the injury aspect with with Fulmer, too. Yeah, you, you could look at his career numbers, 387 ERA, 128 whip. Uh, that that bakes in regression less than uh, his uh, projections do. Um, and it's still pretty valuable. I mean, you have to we like we said, we have to recalibrate and realize that, you know, like a 4-1 ERA is average. So, you know, given the price, if you got like a 387 ERA from your guy, plus he has the upside to be better than that, um, you'd have to think that, you know, getting Chase Anderson as your fourth or fifth starter is a good idea. Justin, who do you like there, Fulmer or Anderson? I think for the price, you have to go Anderson. I mean, uh, he's been fantastic this year, and, and he's finished out strong. The month of September, 206 ERA, 8.23 strikeout per nine, less than two walks per nine, uh, still not giving up home runs. I mean, he's, he's finished strong, even though he missed a little bit of time uh, in the middle of the year. Uh, Fulmer, like you said, he does have an injury history in the minors, coming off surgery. I know he's supposed to be okay. What do the Tigers look like next year from an offensive standpoint? Uh, will they be able to get him run support to win games? Uh, I like Fulmer's overall skill set, uh, uh, maybe a tad bit more than Anderson, but I think uh, for for the price difference, yeah, I'll, I'll save seventy picks. I'm about to pop him in one of the mocks, uh, mm-hmm. uh, about pick one ninety four, one ninety five. Yeah, that's that's uh, a thing. After seventy I, uh, picks after I different. pop Albies uh, here and then get him back on the wraparound, so. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, can you uh, can you give us any uh, pitchers that are at Fulmer at one thirty? Uh, Fulmer at one thirty. Uh, let's see, uh, one thirty one. Kyle Hendricks, mm. uh, um, David Price at one thirty eight. John Gray at one forty one. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be that's gonna be that's where you're making your money next year. Yeah, and you got to find the ones. You know, Cole Hamill's one forty eight. I'm looking at the list right now. That, yeah, Hamels, that's going to the price worry me a little bit because they've really shown their age. Certainly, um, mm-hmm. I think I might like McCullers the... at one fifty one. Oh, I like seeing McCuller. I mean, it's deserved, but I just wasn't sure if he How would much, get. Yeah. You know, uh, what, if Gosman, he would get the sixty one. I think this is 
this is this is a really interesting place to shop, and I do think that Fulmer might be ahead. But I mean, if you could pair Fulmer and Price, on, and you're getting two of these pitchers in the 130s, I mean, that's a lot of upside. I mean, you could win your league with Fulmer and Price in the 130s. So exactly, those that's a really interesting tier of pitchers right there. I, I think I'm gonna have to try and shop in that one. You know, and more maybe even than the Chase Anderson tier because I'm sure Chase well, Anderson is the one that's exciting in the 200s, and there's <laughs> that's why you want to pick him right now at 190, I mean, right? Yeah, you can you can back him up, Chase Anderson there, but then Charlie Morton's at 212, Aaron Sanchez at 206 off a lost year. If he comes back, um, you know, there, there there's still some guys down here. I see Denelson Lamette at 228. Okay. Which of course makes sense, but it's somebody that I'd, I'd be interested in. You know, these are some interesting numbers, and uh, I I think they're going to help set the market because you got four drafts here, and and people are going to be looking for something as they get earlier and earlier. I, you know, what I'm really interested for Justin is how these drafts influence the the drafts I'll be uh, witnessing at the Arizona Fall League uh, mm-hmm. when when we're there in a month, and how much people will be referencing these to kind of get an idea of where people are going because I don't think we've had. You know, uh, this many drafts, year four plus the one from the in this league crew that I participated in, out and available by the time those NFBC drafts happen at the Arizona Fall League. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that impacts everything. We got one more here with that with that Chase Anderson level tier. You know, Julio Tehran at 208 and Sean Manaya at 224. Now both have only gone in one draft, uh, but that's where they went. They went in that Chase Anderson sort of level. Who do you like better there between Tehran and Manaya? You know, I'm pretty definitively in the Sean Manaya camp, and I, that's given what I said earlier in this here conversation about, um, you know, the fact that I think that Manaya might have been hurt this year. Um, I just here's one thing. So we know that uh, certain players were affected by the new ball a little bit more than others. I call it. The Andrelton Simmons rule, and uh, and you know if you look at uh, outfield spray charts, I think it makes a little bit of sense that some people would benefit more from you know five extra feet than other people. Aaron Judge probably added two or three homers with the five extra feet, whereas Andrelton Simmons might have added ten. Um, I think that has to have some sort of influence on pitchers. It's something that we're going to have to try and study in the off season. It's not an easy thing to study. Um, but if, um, if there is a guy that I think could have like a standout, uh, ground ball rate between these guys, to me, it's Sean Maniah. Uh, he has a very heavy fastball and I know he hasn't shown it yet with his 44% ground ball rate, which is right in the average, but he's also 25, um, you know, tinkering a little bit, found a good slider, has been okay and is on the right trajectory. What I see with Tehran is a guy who is not an elite fly ball uh, guy despite uh, having decent pop-up rates and is right in the middle of the ground ball rate and has been for his whole career and is going to be a guy that maybe gets really affected by this uh, this home run surge. And he's well, the guy who just gave up 1.5 per nine. and His new park, too, was a nightmare yeah. for him. 
Yeah. And it, and if and if that holds, and that wasn't just a one year sort of fluke, I mean, you give up a hundred hits and seventeen homers in ninety three and two thirds at home. Yeah. Tehran did and route to a five eighty six ERA. Yeah, God, that's insane. Like that was so tough, and that's obviously where he's pitching half of his games. You look on the road, three fourteen, one twenty five. We know what Tehran can be. He certainly had more success as a major leaguer than Manaya to this point, just based on age alone. But I really do like Manaya as well, and it it really seemed to kind of be, you know, relatively obvious that he wasn't himself down the stretch. I just don't think, you know, if, if you're if you're not a Mania guy, you're like, well, see, this is why I didn't like him. I don't think that was the same guy from the first half, first half, second I mean, half. He, yeah, he was different. struggling with a shoulder thing. He, he went on the DL even, you know. I, now, I, he I, does have injuries throughout his career dating back even to college, which kind of pushed him down to, I believe, what was a supplemental round when he was picked. And one thing you so tear on is that you know he still managed 188 innings the last two years, even with you know the issues. And and 200 plus the years before that, like he's a, he's yeah. got a buck 85 for five straight years. Uh, Tehran does, so that's certainly a, a, a factor that you have to wait. I'll tell you what, I like I've been a fan of both these guys for a while. It would be a situation where if I was near uh, on on a wheel of sorts, I would take both. I would I would be interested in taking both, understanding that maybe. Try to you drop one. Like a well, month yeah, in. <laughs> maybe maybe only one of them's really going to work out for me. Right. But I want I want to see what what both can do. You know, can can Tehran get a little bit better at home so I can actually use him there, or does he end up being a a road only guy? And does Manaya break out? I'll, I'll still be eyeing Manaya for a potential breakout this year. I really will. I I agree with you pretty much uh, down the line on on what you've said about him. I still think he has strikeout upside as well. We've seen seven point eight for him in his career, but you watch a Manaya start and you see that he has. Uh, the, the stuff to be even more uh, devastating to the opposition. Justin, how do you feel about Tehran versus Manaya? Well, you guys started to make my argument for me, uh, and that that is, uh, I, I, I'm gonna go with Tehran because one, the the innings totals. I I love Manaya and I love what he can bring, but I just don't know how healthy he's going to be next season, mm-hmm. and that scares me. Uh, the consistency of innings uh, for Tehran, like you guys mentioned, 188 innings the last two years. T- Two, over 200 the previous two years before that. Uh, and he was actually pretty decent down the stretch from August 2nd on a 344 ERA, uh, two-thirds uh, or uh, .66 uh, home runs per nine during that stretch, almost eight strikeouts per nine. Uh, and seven of those 11 starts were at home. Oh, that's nice. So maybe he's starting to figure some things out there yeah. to keep the ball in the yard at home. You know, I, I think they're going to be – I think he's going to be one of those guys that you're going to want to maybe fade at, at, on rough starts at home. But I think uh, I think he's maybe starting to figure things out a little bit, maybe finally getting adjusted to the stadium. Uh, you know, Manaya has the, the, the comfy confines of the Oakland Coliseum, which, which definitely helps out a little bit, but also a really bad team behind him that's not going to win a lot of games. Uh, I, I, I'd probably have him ranked fairly close together, so – I'm sure I'll end up with shares of both, depending on which one lasts longer in drafts. But if I've got to pick between the two, for me, it's Tehran. Okay. I think that, uh, that that's completely fair. I think, like I said, pairing the two is something I'll definitely be interested in, getting both those guys uh, for their different skills. I don't always run from injuries as much because – you know, going back to the original point that we talked about earlier about how a lot of guys don't make the qualifying innings. 
we almost have to start treating our fantasy rotations a lot like the Dodgers treated their rotation this year, where you get a couple guys that you can hopefully rely on at the top, and then you really just kind of piece it together with chunks of innings from several different guys, uh, and you got to kind of commit to that work in season uh, via the wire. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up episode 500. Now, I haven't been on all 500. You know, have you been on all 500 of them? Well, actually, not with not the ones with with Justin, but were you or with 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 Colette? But were you on every single one with Nick when he was doing it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we launched we launched this. Um, I think I launched it with Podhortzer. Okay. I think I launched it with Mike Podhortzer and then went to Nick Minix. I remember I remember some Podhortzer ones, but mostly I jumped on when when it was Nick. Yeah. That's what uh, I, I remember. And then, obviously, I've been on now for... You've probably been on the most as a... As a yeah, other than me. The, yeah, I, 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 I would have to look I've been it up. on like 450 of them or so, you know, maybe 400 of them. You probably, probably came on in like... You've probably been on about 300. Yeah, I was thinking I came on somewhere in the 200s, maybe. Yeah. So, it's been it's been a while. It's been great. Now, we have fancy producer during the week it's great <laughs> i really appreciate that thanks for all the adp data guys world series picks i'm gonna i'm gonna just who'd you pick uh, all the way you know cleveland but then us like looking at the lineup and stuff made me think my, my other i have cleveland washington and something about washington especially if harper gets it going you know they just have all stars everywhere See, and I, I, I keep wanting to go back to them and say that this is their year because they're also not getting a whole lot of the, the, the attention, and so maybe they kind of sneak by a little bit, win that yeah. first series, and then take off. But the Tigers fan in me uh, is triggered looking at that roster, seeing the elite offense, the elite starting rotation, and the very mediocre to bad bullpen. And I just worry that especially in, in you know, we're not that far removed from when the Tigers were making the World Series against Justin's stupid favorite team. <laughs> and just in that short time, we've seen things change a lot to the focus on the bullpen. Imagine if the bullpen game that we have now was what the Tigers had to deal with. They would probably wouldn't have made those World Series. But uh, I still think that that's their shortcoming. I like Doolittle and, uh, and Madsen. They've been A little huge bit soft dishes. behind that, though. Huh? But after that, what do you really got? By the way, Madsen doesn't get enough credit for what he's done. It'd be interesting to see if he can keep it up. Because he's at, he's probably been a bigger addition than Doolittle with well actually Doolittle's pitch more innings but a 137 ERA .81 WHIP and 12.8 strikeouts for Madsen so far um, so yeah the bullpen still worries me I do really like that team I'm picking Houston versus Arizona and then uh, and then Houston winning it Justin what do you got for the World Series? Well, prior to the season, I took the Nationals to uh, win it over the Indians so I'm sticking with that especially because I have a bet on the Nationals to win it all that is still nice. alive. Nice. Well, I, you know, I like that we're all kind of uh, you guys are in on the Nationals making the World Series. And I, I, I chickened out because of the bullpen, but I'm really I'm really in on it. I, I would like to see them have success, too, because there's a lot of guys on that team that, um, you know, I'd like to see them kind of get over that hurdle. Like, I oh, never won a series. They suck. I, I mean, they're such a good team. And they they really held uh, well while Harper was out. Now they get him back and that lineup, man, you do not want to mess with that lineup. So we'll see what happens. Again, I think it's going to be a great playoff. Uh, no weekend episode. I'll be in California. You know, you're going to a beer fest this weekend. Is that right? Great American Beer Festival. Any Denver listeners, I will be out and about. Probably Fresh Craft Thursday, happy hour-ish, around 5, 6. We'll be out in, at Fresh Craft in Denver. Maybe hit the Falling Rock on the way out. But, uh, yeah, I'll be at Great American Beer Festival. We got it. We got it. Game is on, so we got to go. But We got to go. 
But all right, have a good one. One thing: how trash is Charlie Blackman's hair beard situation? How much to lick it? <laughs> you know, you first, <laughs> like a real lick, like a, like a legit lick, at, oh. uh, middle of the game. Uh, Middle of the know, game? Oh, with yeah. the sweat? Oh, I was going to okay. say 500, but I think... No, I think no, no, you can't do that. You gotta, no, no, you're, you're, you're playing second. Sweat involved. He just hit a double that he busted oh, out of the box for, and then, and then you have to uh, execute the lick at second base. How much? I mean, he, like at least 750, or maybe grand, but uh, in, in, in like cash, you know? Uh, I hope so one out of his pocket. It'll probably be sweaty, sweaty cash. Un- unmarked bills. No, uh, <laughs> practice by licking your own nasty beard, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, <laughs> as a person who's had a, a beard like Charlie Blackman's uh, all throughout uh, in my adult life, uh, I, I can implore you that seven hundred and fifty dollars or a grand is not nearly enough money. I, you <laughs> know, it's so cheap, man. <laughs> I, I am. I'm going way higher than that. I'm. Yeah. I'm not talking to you until we get to five Gs. Yeah, no. It's. I, I once lost rice and or found rice in my beard that I, I couldn't remember the last time I had eaten rice. So I mean, a guy like Charlie Blackman has to struggle with things like that. So there's no I way I'm licking another man's beard. You know a little bit more about me. I'm willing to lick beards for a grand. Um, uh, is there a nickname that we can come up for it? Because it's it's like business up top, party in the back, and beer fest in the front, or hell in the front. I mean, it, it whatever the hell that is. I mean, Chuck Nasty is an amazing nickname for him. That's like, cool. Totally, totally works. Uh, so one when he came out of, out of Georgia Tech too. It's crazy to see him when he was too. Because they'll flash back to to minor league days or even his early days in the pros, and you're like, who the hell's that guy? I convinced that that's where he gets all his his excellence from. He didn't break out till he started getting that that beard, and now he's an elite player. So I all for it, but five G's before we're even talking. I'm not even committing <laughs> to five G's yet. I'm just saying that's getting just the conversation going. Yes. <laughs> but all right, well, you know, we'll be out licking beards in Denver. I'll be at Disney. Did you say world or land? Land. California. Land. I'll be at Disneyland, not licking anything, um, and, and just trying to hang out and see where Princess Ariel is. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I won't be creeping on any of the Disney princesses. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week, guys. Thanks for uh, listening. Yeah. I, I used Dino's <laughs> phrase. You did. What do I say now? Don't just say it again. I don't want to lick your beard. Okay, bye.